Dear Dr. Dobson, second paragraph, Christ warned in Matthew 16:6 to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and then went on to explain that the leaven of the Pharisees was actually their teachings, verse 12. I do not believe that this admonition from Christ was meant only for the apostles in the first century A.D. because the leaven of the Pharisees is still here amongst us and very few are aware of it, let alone beware of it, and I believe yourself included. That, of course, is an introduction to a letter that I wrote, a three-page, single-spaced letter that I wrote to Dr. Dobson in 1987. I'd like you to turn now to Matthew chapter 16, which is the text was our text for last week's message, which was the beginning of the series that uh, we are now in, which is going to be a little bit longer than I first anticipated, as you will see when we get into this one. Matthew 16, and let's just read those verses that pertain to what I mentioned in that letter to Dr. Dobson. Matthew 16, verse 6 to begin with. It says, And Yahshua said to them, his disciples, Watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And then verse 11 and 12, 11 repeats the same thing. He says, How is it that you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread, but beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees? And then they understood that he did not say to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, I want you to notice something in, those, in that text again that was not, I really didn't deal with, did hardly, hardly even mentioned other than just reading it there that the Sadducees, that there is a warning given by Yahshua to the disciples, and again, obviously, as you can tell from the part of the letter I just read, that I believe is for this generation, has been for every succeeding generation, and is for this generation and any generations to come in the future, that there was a warning given not only to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, but also of the leaven of the Sadducees. Now, I think, because I didn't deal with it in last week's message, let me just touch upon it a little bit here. Let me do so by going first to Zondervan's Pictorial Bible Dictionary and just giving you a portion of what it says about the Sadducees. It says, quote, With the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70, the Sadducean party disappeared, end quote. And then also from Smith's Bible Dictionary, quote, An important fact in the history of the Sadducees is their rapid disappearance from history after the first century, end quote. So both Zondervan's and Smith's Bible dictionaries are in agreement in the fact that the, Sadduce, the Sadducean or the, the Sadducees or the Sadducean party disappeared off the religious scene. They make that clear in those chapters. And most of Christendom, as I pointed out in last week's message, believes the same about the Pharisees today. And as a result, they have stopped actually heeding the exact warning that's given there in Matthew 16 and in other places in the Gospels. They believe that the Pharisees went off the religious scene of history just like the Sadducees did, and the Sadducees certainly did as well. But the Pharisees, as proven in last week's message, are well and alive today. Not only proven in last week's message, but as we saw in last week's message, we heard from the Pharisees themselves that Phariseeism is well and alive. But it just so happens to be under a different name today. And that's the name of Judaism. And that doesn't come from me. That's not, I'm not telling you that's the way it is. They say, I gave you authority after authority last week, or at least three or four of them, from their encyclopedias and from their different uh, uh, eminent rabbis, wherein they said that Judaism today 
is the same as Phariseeism of the day of, uh, at the day of Yahshua. Now note that both, and you have to note by going back to last week's message, but note that both Zondervan's and Smith's Bible Dictionary, first in, in today's quotes, made it clear that the Sadducees no longer exist. So why, but why, and this is where you need to know, why didn't they, in the quotes that I shared with you last in last Sunday's message, why didn't they make, say the same thing about the Pharisees? You know, they neither said that they continue to exist or that they didn't continue to exist. They just left us hanging. Why would they do that? Well, I'm going to leave that the answer for that for later. Matter of fact, it probably won't even be in this message. It'll probably be in the message to come. Why they possibly would do such a thing. Could it be that they knew that the Pharisees certainly did exist at the time that they wrote those dictionaries but for some reason they didn't want to share it. Again, I will leave the answer of that for future, sometime future in this series. You know, it's very clear, obviously, in last week's message, and anybody who's read the Gospels as well knows that it's, very, it's a very clear fact that Yahshua denounced not only Phariseeism, that so many churches or churches sometimes do preach about, but not, not only Phariseeism in the fact that in the fact of talking about it in the light of being, it being hypocrisy or being, being legalism or how many of us have spoken of it in the past, not only did he denounce Phariseeism, as it can be applied in that sense, but also specifically he denounced the Pharisees themselves. Not only did he warn of their leaven, but he uh, severely rebuked the Pharisees themselves, and I read from several Jewish quotes at the end of last week's message from which it, w- is a, it was made abundantly clear that Judaism today is just as corrupt as Phariseeism of Yahshua's day. Matter of fact, even worse. And I made light, I made, I made, I didn't have it in my notes, but I made reference to it. I didn't give you the exact passage, so I want to do it today. Let's go to Matthew chapter 23 and verse 15. And you think about Matthew 23 and the scathing rebukes that Yahshua gives to the Pharisees. You can't imagine that anybody could be any worse than what he says that they were. Brute of vipers, murderers, hypocrites, you know, and on down the list of things that I shared with you last week. You wouldn't imagine that anybody could be worse than that. But listen to Matthew 23 and verse 15. It says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! Because you travel about on sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you. They're worse. Matter of fact, it says there very clearly that the proselytes are twice as bad. They're twice as bad as the Pharisees of that day. And Judaism today, for the most part is made up of proselytes. We know, at least not everyone, of course, knows this. It's a fact that's been, it's a fact of history that's been, been uh, hidden from uh, most of our people in regards to the Jews and Judaism. But we know that the biggest majority, 90% plus or more, uh, of those who call themselves Jews today are nothing but proselytes to the religion. They're Khazars um, from the Khazarian Empire during the 8th, 9th, and 10th centuries that converted 
or adopted the religion of Judaism and took on the name of Jews and in so doing took on the claim of being Israelites. So we know that Judaism today for the most part, and that's not even counting uh, people like Sammy Davis Jr. and, and uh, uh, others from other races that have also adopted uh, Judaism. But we know just because of the Khazars, and they again, that you don't have to take my word for it, they admit it themselves um, that over 90% of the, of the people who call themselves Jews today are proselytes from the Khazar kingdom. And what are the proselytes described as in, in Matthew 23? As twice the sons of hell. And keep in mind Revelations 2.9 and 3.9 as well, where we're told that those who claim to be, that, that there are some who will claim to be Israelites and who are not, and what are they called? What are they then described as? A synagogue of Satan. So the Bible makes it very clear that if indeed proselytes came about afterwards, as we know that there are because they've admitted to it themselves, that they'd be twice as bad as what they had, as what Yahshua had before him in his very day and age. And so I ask you again the question I brought out in last week's message. Why is it then that we're not hearing the same warning across America's pulpits today that Yahshua gave in Matthew chapter 16? It would seem like it's even more pertinent today to give that warning, and yet nobody's getting to it. At least very, very, very few are giving that same warning today. Yahshua's warning is just as, just as pertinent today and even more so than in the day he gave it. You name it, keeping in mind the text for this series, you name it, and they've leavened it. At least that's what Henry Ford Sr. believed. And I know you've probably all heard this quote more times than you'd like to count. But I'm going to share it to you again because it's so pertinent in regards to this message and in regards to the warning there found in Matthew 16 by Yahshua. Uh, I won't read the whole thing, but he says, it, this is from Henry Ford Sr. in 1922. He says, it is, ra- it is rather surprising, is it not, that whichever way you turn to trace the harmful streams of influence that flow through society, you come upon a group of Jews in sports corruption, a group of Jews in exploitative finance, a group of Jews in theatrical degeneracy, a group of Jews, in liquor propaganda, a group of Jews, in control of national war policies, a group of Jews, absolutely absolutely dominating the wireless communications of the world, a group of Jews, the menace of the movies, a group of Jews, in control of the press through business and financial pressure, a group of Jews, war profiteers, 80% of them Jews, the miasma of so-called popular music, which combines weak-mindedness and every suggestion of lewdness, Jews. And, or, and organizers of active opposition to Christian, Christian laws and customs, again, Jews. And, of course, the quote even continues beyond that. You know, we learned uh, by the Pharisees, we learned by the Pharisees in the series, Know Thine Enemy, the series that I gave uh, probably a little over a year ago, 14-part series, we learned that in that series, series that the Pharisees... Um, I should say, we learned in the Know Thine Enemy series, that 14-part series, and I should also add the uh, recent message on the New World Order, we learned in those messages, we saw, we found that it was demonstrated, or I demonstrated, the fact that communism, masonry, humanism, the New Age movement, 
and the, uh, the sexual revelation and the new world order have all been leavened by the Pharisees. That is, we found or we proved that Talmudic Judaism is the motivating force behind all of those things. And as a result, I believe that Henry Ford knew of what he spoke of back then and back there at 1922. And we, of course, could go on and on. We could go on, and on into several other different areas and prove the same thing, that behind the scenes, behind that which is so often corrupt, you will find Jews just like Henry Ford stated. And we will probably go into some of those areas in the future. As I mentioned, again, in that series, we would, we would add some more messages to it as we went along in time. But in this particular message, I want to get real specific about what we deal with here. First of all, you remember in last week's message that I gave some scriptural definitions from the scriptures, from the New Testament, of what Yahshua meant when he used the phrase, the leaven of the Pharisees. He describes it. First of all, he describes it in the very text that we use. In Matthew 16, he calls the leaven of the Pharisees, or the apostles all of a sudden understand that the leaven of the Pharisees is their teaching. We also find that in Luke 12, verse 1, that it's also described as hypocrisy. It doesn't mention teaching there, it just says hypocrisy. So you put the two together, and I came up with these definitions for what we find there in those two scriptural passages. You could describe it as deceptive instruction or instruction with ulterior motives. And we certainly saw that proved in last week's message as well. Now, with those definitions in mind, are the Pharisees, talking about leavening, instruction, deceptive instruction, are the Pharisees, the Jews today, are they in positions where the, wherein they are instructing our people today? And that's a legitimate question to ask. After all, only a very small minority of the population attend synagogues Saturday mornings. So are they, are they really in that position? Is the warning really needed to be hearing? Are they really in the positions where they're instructing our people? Well, what about the rest of the population? If only a few, only a very, very small minority of our population today are attending synagogues Saturday mornings, what about the rest of our population? About, what about the majority of those people? Are they being taught and instructed and trained uh, by and through Judaism today? Well, in Matthew 23, where we find Yahshua giving the Pharisees, not literally, but very close literally, giving them hell. If you read Matthew 23, that's a good description of what he's given the Pharisees there. Matthew 23, where we find Yahshua giving them hell, we also find another group getting it right along with them. And as a matter of fact, they even get first billing. We always just want to center on the Pharisees, and rightfully so with the claims of Judaism today concerning Phariseeism. But there's another group that's getting it right along with them, and they're given first billing. Turn again to Matthew chapter 23. Let's start with verses 1 and 2. It says, Then Yahshua spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, the scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Then jump down to verse 13. Listen again. It says, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 15. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And on through the rest of the chapter. Who is it that gets first billing? The scribes. Well, who are the scribes? We not only need to talk about the Pharisees, but we also obviously, in light of the scathing given here, we also need to talk about the scribes and we need to ask the question, are the scribes here like the Pharisees are today? 
Well, let me go to Zonovan's Pictorial Bible Dictionary again. Matter of fact, to begin with, I want to share. I hope you remember, and knowing that you probably don't, I'll read it to you again. But there was a very pertinent quote in regards to the scribes and the Pharisees in uh, the uh, definition I read from Zonovan's Pictorial Bible Dictionary under the heading Pharisees. This will be a repeat, and then I'll share another part of the definition under the or under the heading of scribes. Under Pharisees, it said, part of it says, the rise of the Jewish scribes who were closely associated with the Pharisees also gave great impetus to Jewish legalism. The Pharisees, who were more of a fraternal order or religious society than a sect, were the organized followers of these experts in interpreting the scriptures. They formalized the religion, the Pharisees, formalized the religion of the scribes and placed it into practice. This is why the scribes and the Pharisees are often mentioned together in the New Testament. Now, let me go to the to, to scribes there. I hope you notice that all the Pharisees did was take what the scribes had written out and put it into practice. They're of the same lot. We find that even to be more the case when we go to... Uh, the heading of scribes, and read from there. I won't read again the whole thing, but just a couple portions. To begin with, it says, The Pharisees were a religious party while the scribes held an office. The double designation distinguishes them from the Pharisees, but the majority of the scribes belonged to the Pharisee party, which recognized the legal interpretations of the scribes. Now, here's a couple cases. We know that Nicodemus was not only a Pharisee, but a scribe. Gamaliel was a scribe and a Pharisee at the same time. And I suspect that probably as a Pharisee of Pharisees, so was the Apostle Paul. I suspect he probably was. I can't say that for certain. Another quote a little bit later on. It says, By New Testament times, they held undisputed sway as the recognized exponents of the law and the revered representatives of Judaism. They received the deep respect of the people as indicated in the honorable term rabbi, meaning my master or teacher. Now, first of all, there's a couple places, one at least, if not more, where uh, the term rabbi is applied to Yahshua the Christ, where somebody addresses him as that. Just from that definition, you should be able to tell why, because he was a, a revered teacher, and that's what the term meant. Um, he wasn't a rabbi in the sense as we have rabbis today. And some people would maybe be knowing what we have in the rabbis today would maybe be set back a little bit and reading that passage where he's addressed as rabbi, but it simply at that time meant teacher. But notice, first of all, that it says the, the scribes were, the, were basically one and the same with the Pharisees. They were just the revered teachers, so to speak, and they were the ones who were called rabbis. Now, there is a passage I'll give to you here. Let's go to Matthew let me find it here. Excuse me, Luke. Uh, Luke chapter five and verse thirty, for verification that the that the uh, rabbi that the uh, Pharisees and the scribes were one and the same. Keeping in, keep in mind too, as we turn there, that uh, that the rabbis, the scribes. When you see rabbis, you can know that the rabbis were the scribes. They were the revered. The rabbis, they were the rabbis of the Pharisees. We're talking about the same group of people. When we're talking about the scribes, and no wonder they got first billing, they were the revered, the leaders of the Pharisees. 
here's a scripture again that proves that they are one and the same. Verse, verse 30 says, And the Pharisees and their scribes began grumbling at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with the tax gatherers and sinners? Notice, and the Pharisees and the scribes. Kind of like it would be, it'd be kind of like saying the Christians and their preachers. Um, of course, they weren't the ones who were taking Yahshua to task there, but be the same in the same light. You could almost say the same thing. The Pharisees and their scribes, the Pharisees and their rabbis is really what is being said there. So we can see that the scribes, when it's talking about the scribes, the scribes being lambasted the way that they are by Yahshua in Matthew 23, it's basically still just dealing with the same group of people. Now, um, scribes um, is not necessarily today a, a term that's used uh, frequently. Matter of fact, uh, I don't know that I've ever heard it except in reference to how the scriptures use it. It's not a modern term, just like Pharisees is not a term that you hear a lot today. Unless you've dug in and seen what the claims of the Jews are, you, it's not a term except in the Bible that would ever be used in common language. So if that's the case, scribes is not a term, just is not a common term, just like the term Pharisee is not. And if that's the case, then we're going to have to find, if we're going to deal with the scribes as well, as the Pharisees, we also have to find them probably under different titles or different designations. So, now we know that the scribes were the leaders, the teachers, the instructors of the Pharisees. Um, So, in order to maybe help us to find out who the scribes are identified as today, maybe we should ask the question, well, how is instruction? Again, we're talking about leaven. The leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven being deceptive instruction. Let's ask the question, how is instruction disseminated today? What are the different ways? Now, normally we think of through the schools and universities. We normally think of, of, of a teacher in front of a classroom. But how else is instruction being disseminated today as we start to try to figure out how the leavening effect of the scribes and Pharisees is taking place? How is that taking place? How else other than in a classroom setting? Well, how about through the publishing houses today? which for the most part control the curriculums that are in the schools and universities. How about through the rewriting of our history, the rewriting of our history books? How about simply through the media? Probably next to the universities, probably even more than the universities today, there is more instruction given through the media than through any other source. And the media to include TV, radio, the newspapers, and the tabloids. Specifically, Uh, in regards to the news, and we could go into the other areas as well. How about through the other areas as well in TV, and also Hollywood, and the theater? How about through music? How about through judges and lawyers? Isn't there instruction taking place through them? And how about through our government legislation? That's taking place. So we can all of a sudden, normally we would, we would want to limit maybe instruction in our thinking when we first think about how are people instructed. We want to usually limit it to, to classrooms and schools and universities. But as you can see, when you start thinking about it, instruction is disseminated in a much broader way than what we normally want to limit it to or how most people would want to limit it. Now, I can hear somebody, gonna, somebody's going to say, they're going to hear this and they're going to say, you're not going to try to tell me that the Jews are in control of all of those areas too, are you? Well, let's just see how pervasive their leaven really is. Now, I want to leave some of those areas. Um, 
for another message, maybe another series even. Um, I don't want to, I'm not going to deal with the public education system. It needs to be dealt with. I haven't dealt with it yet. It needs to be dealt with. But I'm not going to deal with it in this particular message. I don't, I'm not necessarily going to deal with the rewriting of history. I'm not going to deal with the judicial system. It needs to be dealt with and will be dealt with in the future. I'm not going to deal with government legislation, who's behind what's going on in our, in our government in so many, so many ways. Um, and I've already dealt with, oh, I forgot to mention, there's one other way that, uh, again, we might normally think. If anybody else can think of another way that instruction is being disseminated, especially in regards to the leaven of the Pharisees, I'm interested to see if any of you guys can come up with it. Ministers in Judeo-Christianity. The Judeo is capitalized. The Christianity is in small uh, case letters. The ministers in Judeo-Christianity are another way of disseminating instruction, specifically leaven of the Pharisees. Well, I've already dealt with that one pretty much in uh, my series, a 12-part series, Judeo-Christian versus Christian Israel. Well, that leaves us uh, with today's message and at least the one following, or probably two or three following. It leaves us with the media, Hollywood, the theater, and the publishing houses. Let's, go to, let's begin by looking at the media. And again, the media is, and when I say media, I'm including TV, radio, newspapers, tabloids. In this particular message and in part of next week's message or the message to come next, um, when I'm dealing with uh, TV and radio, specifically with the press, dealing with the, the news that we're given. We'll deal with the other areas in, in uh, future messages. I want to use as my primary source in dealing with the media in this message and the one to come. I want to use, the, again, the protocols of the learned elders of Zion. And again, for those who may not know, who may receive this tape individually, uh, the protocols of the learned elders of Zion, the book, contains the substance of addresses delivered at the first Zionist Congress in Basel, Switzerland in 1897. Now, I want to, before, though, we get into the, to the uh, protocols this morning, I want to center in on a particular word in that phrase, the protocols of the learned elders of Zion, because I think you'll see as we do, it ties in perfectly with what we've just discussed concerning the Pharisees and the scribes and so forth. I want to center in on that word elders. It's the protocols of the learned elders of Zion. What is it meant by there? What is meant in that phrase when it says the learned elders of Zion? Before specifically answering that, let me address it from, a, from, the, from the point of the scriptures. That word elder is used at least three different ways, three primary ways in, in the Bible. One in the Old Testament and two in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, we find one of the possible designations for the word elder as being simply older men, but, or excuse me, the older men in Israel, but most specifically the older men who were usually in a leadership position, uh, such as the head of their family or the head of their tribe or a judge or a, an officer of some kind is how it's used in the Old Testament. We also find that that word is used in the New Testament in two different ways. Now, probably the most prominent throughout the whole Bible, probably the one that most people know, especially those who have a background of the Church of Christ, normally would probably think of elders as being uh, that which, uh, those which are described as pastors, shepherds, overseers, and bishops in the New Testament. Those uh, men who were appointed to have oversight over the local bodies of Christ, to be in a leadership position, a plurality of men who were set up to have, an over, to have oversight over the local bodies of Christ wherever they happened to be throughout the country. 
But there's also another New Testament usage for the word that we think we need to examine as well. It's what I would call the perverted group and how it's used. The first indication of, uh, of who this group were or was, uh, what, they wa- what they were and, and who they were, um, can be found, I believe, in Matthew chapter 15. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 15, starting with verses 1 through 3. <coughs> Verse 1, it says, Then some Pharisees and scribes came to Yahshua from Jerusalem, saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. Now notice, what are they concerned about? The tradition of the elders. In verse 3, and it says, And he answered and said to them, And why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? Then jump down to verses 7 through 9. He says, You hypocrites. Same thing, he, of course, called the, uh, the uh, scribes and the Pharisees in Matthew 23. He says, You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching the doctrines and precepts of men. I notice that the scribes and the Pharisees were concerned with what? The uh, traditions of the elders. So there we have that, uh, another use. That's not talking about the elders as we found them in the Old Testament, as I just described. It's not talking about the elders that were later set up in the church. They weren't even in existence at this time. No, it's talking about a whole different set of people than the other two. It's a group of people who, as we find in this passage, who are very concerned about, um, or it's, it's a, it's a uh, group of people that the traditions are attributed to. Now, it uses the word traditions. What are the traditions? What did the traditions become? I think all of you probably know what the traditions of the elders then became. Anybody know? What were the, excuse me? No, not the protocols. The Talmud. Okay. The tradition of the elders became that what we know as the Talmud. And of course, most people today, most people I could probably say in Christian today doesn't even know that the Talmud even exists. They think that the religious book of the Jews or the religious book of Judaism today is the Old Testament. Well, that is not the truth at all. That has been nothing but lies. And they admit it at least to themselves that the Old Testament is nearly as, well, they state that it's, it's simply for old men, women, and children. Um, and worse. Um, so the Old Testament is not their book. The Talmud is their religious book. Regretfully, not only do people not, most people not know that that's their religious book, but they haven't even heard of it so many times that there is such a thing. Well, that's what the traditions of the elders became. And if you know anything about the Talmud, now you start to understand something about the elders. We'll get into that more as we go along here. Also, we can see in Matthew 16:21 something else about this group. You won't need to turn to it. I'll just read, to it, read it to you for the sake of time. It says, From that time... Yahshua the Christ began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and, and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. So we see that, it's, that they were one of the three groups described here and they're all interwoven anyway, basically almost, always, all, almost the same people. But he says that he himself was going to suffer at their hands. 
and even be put to death. And we see the fulfillment of that in Matthew 27, 1, where it says, Now when morning had come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Joshua to put him to death. End quote. Now there's one other thing that shows that the that when we're talking about the elders, specifically the elders of the, the learned elders of the protocols, that we're actually talking about the same thing. I don't want you to think that I'm getting off base here by going to protocol. We're talking about Pharisees. We know the Pharisees are, are the same as the scribes. We also can find out that the scribes and the elders are one and the same thing too. In Luke 22 and verse 66, if you'll turn there. Luke 22, verse 66. Listen to what it says. And when it was day, the council of the elders, council, if you look at the footnote, if you read about the Sanhedrin, that's who the elders were. They were When they were a collective group, when the elders came together, they became known as the council of the elders or the Sanhedrin. Okay, it says, And when it was day, the council or the Sanhedrin of the elders of the people assembled both chief priests and scribes and they led him away to their council chamber saying. And then, of course, that was when they, they wanted to they, uh, counsel to put Joshua to death. But we can see here that the elders are made up of the chief priests and the scribes. So when we're talking about the elders, we're talking about the scribes. And when we're talking about the scribes, we're talking about the Pharisees. They're all the same bunch. Um, and just so that you're not getting confused, so that you won't get confused as we turn around and deal with different... different uh, uh, titles here just so you know that we're all we're still dealing with the same group of people in this message called Beware of the Leaven of the Pharisees. Now let me ask you which of the three groups do you think we're dealing with when we're talking about the learned elders of Zion? you think it's the first group from the Old Testament? The leaders of the people in that sense? Do you think it's the elders of the churches? Or do you think it's the group of this guy? I think if you read the protocols, I think you'll, you'll know for sure exactly who it is if you compare the protocols with what you find in the Talmud. Well, let's go to the protocols. Um, there's probably, and the reason I'm using this as my primary source to deal with the media or the press, is because there is probably more in the protocols on the media or the press than any other single subject in the protocol. And again, as we go through this in this message and the one following, I think you'll see why. Why they put such a great importance on the, uh, the press. Let's let's begin by uh, I'm going to say by turning to protocols. Would you all take out the protocols and turn to chapter two? Let me read to you from protocol beginning with protocol number two, article two, sentence six through article three, sentence two. I'll begin by reading it and then I'll go back. We'll go back through it a little more slowly. It says it is with this object in view that we are constantly, by means of our press arousing blind confidence in these theories. The intellectuals of the Goyim will puff themselves up with their knowledge and without any logical verification of them will put into effect all the information available from science, which our agentur specialists have cunningly pieced together for the purpose of educating their minds in the direction we want. Do you suppose for a moment that these statements are empty words? Think carefully to the successes we arrange for Darwinism, Marxism and Nietzscheism. To us Jews at any rate, it should be plain to see what a disintegrating importance these directives have had upon the mind of the Goyim. You know, let's take that apart a little bit. First of all, what did they claim at the very beginning there? They claimed that they, the Jews, by use of the press, 
will direct and control the minds of the masses. It is with this object in view that we are constantly, by means of our press, arousing blind confidence in these theories. It goes on without any logical verification. Um, and then it ends by saying, the purpose of educating their minds in the direction we want. They claim that through the press, they will direct and control the minds of the masses. H. Schmachoff uh, said this. He said, quote, capture the press. Through it, everything will come to you in the natural course of events, end quote. Napoleon had this to say. He said, four hostile newspapers are more to be feared than a thousand bayonets. Now, I believe he makes a point there. He makes a point in, in, in describing the power that there is in the press. But I disagree with his statement. Um, and the reason being because Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 2 and verse 6, uh, Yahweh made it very clear when he commanded Ezekiel by saying, And you, son of man, neither fear them nor their words. I don't care what, how many, how many uh, uh, newspapers or, or uh, TV networks or whatever may come against us as a people. We are not to fear their words. But nonetheless, Napoleon's words again state the power of the press. As a Christian, he had probably reason, or excuse me, as not. Being as he was not a Christian, he probably had good reason to fear them. As Christians, we have no fear. We have no reason to fear them. For, for uh, They certainly are not, no matter how much, how much force they may accumulate, they can never match the force of the power of our God and his deliverance. But anyway, he certainly, those men understood the power of the press. In Article 3, I want you to also note that they make this claim that we will control, that we will guide the, the minds of the masses through the means of the press. That will be the primary uh, way of, of accomplishing this. And then in Article 3, they say, here's proof that our boast is not an empty one. Don't think that we can't do what we are saying that we uh, have and will do. Because they go, he goes on to say, and let me just read it, it says, do not suppose for a moment that these statements are empty words, but think carefully of the successes we arrange. What were the successes that they arranged or that he uses in this example? Listen to them. Darwinism, Marxism, and Nietzscheism. What, was Dar- what, what is Darwin? What's Darwinism? Evolution. They claim to have arranged his success. They claim the success of that theory. What a devastating... He goes on to say, um, at least to us Jews, at any rate, it should be plain to see what a disintegrating importance these directives have had upon the minds of the Goyim. That was in 1897. And if he could have seen, if he was living today, to see what it has done to our people. And then he claims not only that is his example, he says Marxism. What did Marxism become? And communism. And as we proved in our Know Thine Enemy series, there is no question that communism is Judaism. It's one and the same. Marx himself was a Jew, son of a Jewish rabbi. And then it goes on to Nietzscheism. Anybody else want anybody want to take a stab at what Nietzscheism is? Well, I didn't. I didn't know. I'd heard of the man. I knew he was German, but I didn't know much about it. Matter of fact, I even called Earl Jones to pick his brain, and he had to do a little research for me and came up with thoughts. Between the two of us, we clearly recognized that the man. He was born of a preacher, but very anti-Christian, um, and attributed to him is the rise of National Socialism in Germany, and which of course resulted with Hitler and so forth. Um, uh, interesting that the Jews again take uh, 
claim or make claim to being behind that movement or the man who certainly had a lot to do with the movement uh, getting underway. Anyway, he was definitely not a godly man, very anti-Christian man, as were Darwin and as were as was Marx. Let's go on. Uh, protocol number two, staying with protocol number two, and article five verses or sentences one through five. Listen carefully. It says, In the hands of the states of today, there is a great force that creates the movement of thought in the people, and that is the press. The part played by the press is to keep pointing out requirements supposed to be indispensable, to give voice to the complaints of the people, to express and create discontent. It is in the press that the triumph of freedom of speech finds its incarnation. But the Goyan states have not known how to make use of this force, and it has fallen into our hands. Through the press, we have gained the power to influence while remaining ourselves in the shade. Let's look at a couple statements therein found. Sentence number one talks about, it says, quote, creates the movement of thought in the people, end quote. It says, basically, the claim is, is that the state or those who control the state have the power through the press to get the people to think on things and in the direction that they see fit. Now, can anybody give me a recent example of that very thing being fulfilled? Really? Where they took the masses of the people through the press, got them to think on the things, the, the war in Iraq, or more specifically, the invasion of Kuwait. They, why did, why did the, the masses of America think about the war in Kuwait? How many other wars are going on in this day, uh, in the same period of time, same period of history that the Kuwaiti War was going on? How many other uh, things of that kind were taking place at the same time? Why did the masses of people have their minds centered on the Kuwaiti invasion? Because, because of the media, because of the press. Compare it, it really becomes interesting when you compare it to the 1982 invasion of the Israelis into Lebanon under Ariel Sharon. And it's, and I don't, I, from what I understand and from what I know of that invasion into Lebanon, what he did in the first day doesn't, that what, that what uh, Saddam and his forces did in Kuwait cannot compare to what he did in one day in Lebanon. The massacre of women and children. Rape was there and we know that it happened with Saddam's army as well. But nothing in comparison to what Ariel Sharon did in Lebanon and how much press did we get on that. You know the press I heard on it? Well, it was a little bit. But you know what I can remember? The press that I remember hearing, I remember Begin being interviewed and he said, well, what's the difference? They're only Goyim anyway. And of course, nobody knows what Goyim is, so nobody took the count. That was on the radio. They're only Goyim anyway. And it wasn't any big deal because it was the Israelis, the Jews invading Lebanon. They didn't want our minds to be on that. They didn't want to direct it toward that, but they certainly wanted it directed toward the invasion of Kuwait. And they certainly did. You know, for nearly half a year, um, we had no choice but to think about that situation over there, even before the war started and throughout, throughout the fact that when it did. You know, whether you turned on the TV, whether you turned on radio, whether you picked up a magazine or a newspaper, that's all you saw. Not only that, but it hit me. That's all for a long while there. For almost that same period of time, that's all we saw, or just about all we saw in Christian Patriot newspapers, too. And it hit me. Could it be that one of the reasons for that war was to get all minds, all minds, 
directed or diverted while they uh, while they um, went forward with other parts of their agenda. I'm not so sure we were in all deep too. As they secretly went on, listen to listen from part of Protocol 13, Article 1, as I read it to you here, as I have it written down. It says, and we meanwhile quietly and amid the din of discussion so raised shall simply take and carry through such measures as we wish and then offer them to the public as an accomplished fact. End quote. And we meanwhile quietly amid the din of discussion so raised shall simply carry out whatever we want to carry out. I'm not so sure we all can follow through and who knows what they, they accomplished in other parts, that was certainly part of their agenda, but in other parts of their agenda, while the media had us all so focused in on just that one aspect of life. Sentence four of this, this uh, article went on to say, but the Goyam states have not known how to make use of this force, and it has fallen into our hands. End quote. You know, I found that extremely interesting because we can see there that there is a part of how Christendom has given us the dominion again. They had it. They said it was theirs. They just didn't know. They, did, they did, either didn't know how to use it or they didn't take advantage of using it for the purposes of the kingdom of Christ. And so they said it fell into our hands and we're using it. We have lost. It's just another part of how we have lost, or we have, how we've given up dominion and we're being through that lost were being trampled under the foot of men through the press. Christianity is their main object that they're centering in on. Sentence 5 said, through the, quote, through the press we have gained the power to influence while, re, while remaining ourselves in the shade. End quote. Remember from Barnes Notes, what I read last week, page 75, uh, in dealing with its comments on Matthew 16, dealing with the word leaven. Listen again. Listen carefully in light of that. Let me read from the protocol again and then read Barnes' notes. It says, Through the press, we have gained the power to influence while remaining ourselves in the shade. Listen to Barnes' notes on regarding leaven. He says, quote, it, it, Its use is to pass through the uh, flour and cause it to ferment. I didn't catch this that last time, but what is fermentation? Fermentation, rather. It, it's the beginning of rot. Listen to it. Let me put that in there. It's, it's, use, its use is to pass through the flour and cause it to... Or to swell and become light. It passes secretly, silently, but certainly. None can see its progress. So it was with the doctrine of the Pharisees. They were insinuating, artful, plausible. They concealed the, the real tendency of their doctrines. They enticed them secretly into, or excuse me, they instilled them secretly into the mind and they pervaded all the faculties like leaven. Interesting that they said that we're accomplishing what we accomplished, but we're out, we're out in the state where nobody can see it. We're concealed. We're doing it secretly. Let's go now to Protocol, protocol 3. And uh, Article 10, Sentence 1 simply says, the Goyim have lost the habit of thinking unless prompted by suggestions of our specialists. They have lost the, the, the habit of thinking. You know, again, he said that in 1897. Rabbi, Rabbi Herschel. How much more so today? 
Is that the case? I mean, if anything ever described today, you know, and talk about leavening. Talk about total mind control. What was Barnes' last sentence in that quote I just gave you? He said, and they pervaded all the faculties like leaven. They took it all over. Or they took all the faculties away. In this case, they can't even say. And how is it accomplished? Let me go to Protocol 5 as an answer to that. How is it being accomplished that they have they have made it so that the that the uh, goyim um, can no, don't, no longer even have the ability to really do to think things through? Listen to Protocol 5. Let's see here. Protocol 5 and Article 10. Listen to this, and you tell me what's being described here. In order to put public opinion into our hands, we must bring it into a state of bewilderment by giving expression from all sides to so many contradictory opinions and for such length of time, time as will suffice to, to make the goyim lose their heads in the labyrinth and come to see that the best thing is to have no opinion of any kind in matters political, which it is not given to the public to understand because they are understood only by him who guides the public. This is the first secret. What's, what's the, what's the, what are they describing? Dialectic. Dialectic, which is you give the people the thesis, you give them the antithesis, and what do you end up with? Somebody tell me. What do you end up with? You start with the thesis, you give them the thesis, you give also give them the antithesis, and what ends up? What's the result? Well, what's the word, though, the specific word? Synthesis. You end up with synthesis. I wanted you to say it because I said here is what you end up with. This is Article uh, 11, sentences 4 and 5 of the same protocol. This is, you give them the, you give them all the, the contra- contrary opinions, which they certainly do, and then you, uh, when you get both sides, the people end up with the synthesis, and here is how it's described in this very same protocol. It says, there is nothing more dangerous than personal initiative. It has Excuse me. If it has genius behind it, such initiative can do more than can be done by millions of people among whom we have sown discord. We must so direct the education of the Goyim communities that whenever they come upon a matter requiring initiative, they may drop their hands in despairing sympathy. And if you want a description of uh, dialectics, it's found in those two passages of the, of the protocol. And if you want to see fulfillment, look to the American people and regretfully look to the majority of the churches. And they're, they're primary to blame. The preachers, at least in those churches, who are no longer preaching the gospel that we find in the New Testament. And if they were, they'd be persecuted by the Pharisees just like Joshua was. Let's go on. Protocol 3. Back to Protocol 3. Protocol 3 in Article 10, Sentence 6. Okay, it says, In the present state of knowledge and the direction we have given to its development, the people blindly believing things in print, cherishes thanks to promptings intended to mislead. Notice again what it said, and what a description again for this day and age. Blindly believing things in print. You know, that is today's society. You know, again, as I pointed out in my two messages on the Iraqi war, war, war lies and war truths, um, as I pointed out in there, you know, if, if, if our media had come forward at the same time and had lauded Saddam Hussein as 
the a benevolent, benevolent savior of the world, of the Mideast, we, our people would have all believed it. It all depended on what the media had put down in print or came across in this day and age across the, the screen. They would have believed whatever they told them. They could have told him that no matter what he is or what whatever he had done, they would have believed what was in print, would have blindly believed what was in print. Said, they said he was a, he was a Nazi uh, Hitler type uh, madman, insane. And of course, that's what they believed about him. Well, I need to end this message. Time's running out. And uh, we certainly have. We've only got the Protocol 3. Protocol 12, if you want to take and read it yourselves, if you've got a protocol at home, it'll kind of give you a head start because most of what's said about the media is in Protocol 12. We'll spend a lot of time in there. But as you can see, they have simply laid out exactly in this arena how they intend to leaven specifically the Christian influence on the world, and in our case, on America. So we'll pick it up. We want to, we've got a lot more to cover um, just on the media, and we want to deal with Hollywood and, and uh, what else is going on TV and some of the other areas as well. But uh, nonetheless, we'll pick it up next week with more on the media from the protocols and from other sources. But let me end today's message because I think, it, and I want to, to use, I want to use this because I think it fits in well with what we've seen thus far, what we specifically read from the protocols of the learned elders thus far. It's a poem again by Thielen Paul, or another poem by Thielen Paul, called Bureaucrats and Media. And I think it certainly will be a good conclusion to what we've read thus far. A boy says to his father as they stroll along the trail, while looking at the sunset on the river through the vale. What could destroy a nation vast as ours? His dad replies, illusions of the media and bureaucratic lies. For people aren't as smart as sheep that wander from the fold, trusting everything they see, believing what they're told. Then danger is upon them before they realize illusions of the media and bureaucratic lies. And if you try to warn them, they'll say that you're a fool. Your advice will not be heeded like any golden rule. By all the haughty scoffers who are led to their demise, by illusions of the media and bureaucratic lies. Be of those that persevere who number very few, armed with spirit, armed with faith, defeat will not seek you. Prepare for such destruction lest it take you by surprise through illusions of the media and bureaucratic lies. You know, some people, especially those that have maybe uh, had a brush with what's sometimes known as the patriotic circles or the, or, the, uh, or the Christian identity circles, as we sometimes call it. Um, and they sometimes have a brush with the messages that sometimes come from us. They sometimes think, oh, I just heard it recently, matter of fact, from a family member, why it seems like all you deal with is these, some of these other issues and you never deal with what's going on in the family and the home and some of those problems. You know, it's like the illustration I was told by another preacher once. It's like this. It's like the, uh, what needs to be understood. First of all, I need to, you know, there's, there's plenty of doctrines out there dealing with the family, and there's plenty of other preachers that are dealing with those other issues. And, and not that we don't occasionally need to address those issues in the home, and not that they aren't important. They are. But it goes back to this illustration that I once heard, that, the, that, you're in the, that you're, you happen to be in the kitchen, but that somebody has left the, the, uh, the bathtub faucet on full blast, and it happens to be that, the, that it's plugged. 
and slowly fills up and then slowly starts to overflow. And you discover the water as, you're start, as you head, head down the hall. You discover all this water coming out of the bathroom of the hall. You run to find out the source and you see what the problem is. And you turn around and you run back to the kitchen and you grab a, you grab a spoon, a teaspoon. And you run back to the bathtub and you, you dip in a teaspoon, run back with it as best you can, back to the kitchen and pour it out in the sink. And repeat that process over and over and over and over again. Now, in fact, this is exactly, it was part of the letter that I wrote to Dr. Dawson. I used this illustration. The point being, how much better it would have been to deal with the, the problem, to have just gone back to the source of the problem and turned it off at its source. And that's why there needs to be somebody out there who's giving the same warning for the underlying problem that so often is behind the rest of the problems that are going on in our society. There has to be a few watchmen on the wall who are willing to address it where it begins. So I say, as Yahshua said, beware of the loving Pharisees. Let's stand in closing prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we're very thankful to you for your goodness and grace and mercy in Yahshua the Christ. And we know that we are nothing outside of your grace and mercy and found in him and his sacrifice. We're thankful, we pray that in him we grow in grace and knowledge in him that you would protect us Father as we strive to preach and proclaim the full gospel of the kingdom we're thankful we ask that we be used Lord not only that we be blessed but that we be used to also bless others with the gospel of the kingdom Use us, Father we beg you that you open some more eyes to see and understand and that we could win this war Father the war that is definitely being, that is being raised against us we ask these things now. We praise you and glorify you for these things in the name of Christ. Amen.